And until I go into 1 Peter, I want to continue to delve into the truths that are contained in this great book of Proverbs. And if you wouldn't mind, please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. It's been some time since we have been back to the book of Proverbs. We took the entire month of April and concentrated on that series on giving of your time and talent and treasure. And I want to look this morning and also tonight at 6.30 from this great chapter, Proverbs 3. This morning, looking at verses 13 to 18, and then this evening, looking at verses 19 to 26. And as you are open in your Bibles to Proverbs 3, let me remind you of our outline in the study of Proverbs, because it, it has been such a long time since we have been studying this book together. Our title for this particular section of the book of Proverbs is How to Be a Wise Guy or Wisdom for the Ages. And this look at wisdom from the book of Proverbs began with what I called in Proverbs chapter 1 verses 20 to 33, the warning of wisdom, the warning of wisdom. And when we came to Proverbs chapter 2, we looked at what we called the work of wisdom, the work of wisdom, concentrating on how hard you have to work in order for wisdom to come to you. And we're currently studying the third aspect of wisdom, and that is what I've called the wealth of wisdom, the wealth of wisdom. And after we finish Chapter 3, we'll look at, from chapter 4, the way of wisdom. From chapter 8 of Proverbs, the wonder of wisdom. And finally, in chapter 9, completing this major section in the Bible that has to do with wisdom, the want of wisdom. Now, as we look this morning at chapter 3, let me also remind you about the outline within the chapter itself that we're going to be studying for the next couple of sessions together. In Proverbs chapter 3, we looked some time ago at what we called the wealth of wisdom's commands. The wealth of wisdom's commands. That was contained for us in verses 1 to 12. Do you remember we went over in very good detail six commands out of the abundance or the wealth of wisdom that showed us a number of things right out of the Word of God. You remember what they were, each of these commands? Command number one, do not forget the Lord's Word. That was in verses 1 and 2 of Proverbs 3. Command number two was, do not forsake the Lord's character. Verses 3 and 4. Command number three, trust in the Lord and not in yourself. That very familiar Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Command number four was to fear the Lord with humility and piety. There we saw in verses 7 and 8 what it meant to be humble and pious or godly in the fear of the Lord. 
Command number five was to give to the Lord from your financial and material resources, verses 9 and 10. And then finally, out of the wealth of wisdom's command, we saw command number six, accept the loving chastisement of the Lord in verses 11 and 12. And that, by way of a very, very quick review, we come now to what I want to call the wealth of wisdom's capacity. Commands, verses 1 to 12, and in verses 13 to 26, wisdom's capacity. What is the wealth of wisdom's capacity? Well, I want to center in this morning specifically at verses 13 to 18. And I see three of them here, and I think they're extremely important for all of us as we attempt to live this Christian life. In verses 13 to 18, you follow along as I read these words. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Now this is a wonderful portion of God's Word because it tells us about the wealth or the abundance of wisdom's capacity. And I see here, first of all, in verse 13, what we could call this, the all-encompassing and all-surpassing search for wisdom and its capacity. The all-encompassing and all-surpassing search for wisdom's abundance or capacity. What do we see here in verse 13? How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Why do I call it an all-encompassing and all-surpassing search? Well, whatever that means, if a person is to do that, it says in verse 13 that they will be blessed. Blessed is the man who finds this wisdom and who gains this understand, understanding. This word blessed could be translated happy or favored or fulfilled. But I like those who see the possibility of translating it envied, envied or enviable. Enviable is the man who finds wisdom. Or whatever this search includes, and whatever method or motivation a person uses to find this wisdom, Solomon says that they, if they do it in that way, will be blessed, envied, prosperous, fulfilled, happy. By the way, this is the same idea which is mentioned many, many times in the Psalms and in the Proverbs. Do you remember Psalm 1, 1 to 3? So many of you have memorized that. How blessed... Same idea. 
How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates how often? Day and night. You see, if a person meditates on the law of the Lord, or in the context of Proverbs 3, in the wisdom of the Lord, he'll be blessed, he'll be happy if he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and in whatever he does, he what? Prospers. The same thing is mentioned, by the way, in Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2. How blessed, how happy, how enviable, how fulfilled are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, How blessed, how happy are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all your heart. And isn't it interesting that whether we're talking about Psalm 1 or Psalm 119.1 or Proverbs 3.13, all of them say, how blessed is the person who pursues the wisdom of the Word of God. There is no greater pursuit. And that's why I call it the wealth of wisdom, the abundance of wisdom. This wealth, this abundance of wisdom will provide you with blessing, with favor, with happiness. You'll be enviable to those who are also seeking the wisdom of God. But notice, notice that I said to those who are seeking wisdom from God. Notice Proverbs 3.13. It says, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. What does find imply? That you're going to search for it. That you're going to have to look for it. That you're indeed searching for this wisdom because you're not going to find wisdom from God unless you search for it. Likewise, you're not going to receive understanding unless you gain it, the Bible says. Another translation of gain here in verse 13 might be this. A person who draws understanding out. To draw it out. To bring it to the surface. You remember in other contexts it was a reference to mining the Word of God. Uh, Going into the bowels of the earth, as it were, and mining out all of the gold of the Word of God panning for all of the silver that you can find, searching in the forest of seas for all of the precious rubies and jewels. That's what it means to search and to search with all your heart. Draw it out, the Bible says. Search diligently. And it's an all-encompassing search. And it's an all-surpassing search. Nothing we could do, no other interest, no other pursuit, No other means, no other other avenue would allow us to receive the kind of booty from God, the riches, and to search the Word of God. It's all-encompassing. It's all-surpassing. There's no other search that could surpass the kind of search that you do in your home or in your business or in the quiet place, wherever it may be, when you are mining out the treasure of the Word of God. That's what Solomon is saying. Charles Bridges, 
The Puritan of old said it this way, The waverer and the half-seeker fall short. Determined perseverance wins the prize. In other words, this kind of search, this this all-encompassing, all-surpassing search is not for the waverer, not for the vacillator, not for the half-seeker. Determined perseverance wins the prize. And that's why I've chosen to call it all-encompassing, all-surpassing, this search for wisdom. It encompasses all of your effort and it surpasses all of your other searches for anything else. Do you know the Bible does not say that this is the only search that you're to have? God knows that we're going to search for other things. God knows that we're going to search for relationships. God knows that we're going to search for a way and a means whereby we can support our family. Uh, there are all kinds of searches and good searches, noble searches. But the all-surpassing search, the all-encompassing search is for the, the wisdom of the Word of God. You must, in other words, prioritize your pursuit of the wealth of wisdom. It must come first, foremost, top priority. Look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 32. This, of course, is also talking about wisdom, searching for wisdom, gaining wisdom, drawing it out. Proverbs 8.32, Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed, happy, there it is again, are they who keep my ways. Verse 34, Blessed, happy, is the man who listens to me. Who is me? Wisdom. You see, in all of these passages, wisdom is personified as though it were a woman. And this lady wisdom is saying, Heed my instruction. Be wise. Don't neglect it. Happy is the person who listens to me, who listens to godly wisdom, watching daily at my gates. Do you see the picture? Back then in the old ancient cities, they had a gate, an entrance into that city, and everybody watched that gate to see who was entering and exiting. And Lady Wisdom picks up on that theme and says, Watch daily at my gates waiting at my doorposts. The picture there is someone who's waiting and watching, eager, fervent. It's an all-surpassing search. It's all-encompassing. And you say, what is this wisdom? What's the abundance of it? What's the wealth of it? What is it really? Give me some specifics. Give me some practicalities. Well, you can have an abundant answer in God's wisdom to topics like these, it gives the truth, does the Word of God, about God Himself, about the universe, about the heavens and the earth, the truth about man, the truth about sin, the truth about salvation, the truth about forgiveness, wisdom about righteousness, holiness, peace, assurance, and on and on and on. Anything you want to know about life. Isn't that what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4? All that pertains to life and godliness is what? Is received through the magnificent, the precious promises that are ours which are contained in the Word of God. I know that I have said many times in the six years that I've been your pastor about 
not only our love for the Word of God, but searching it out. And the only reason that I do that is because, as someone who goes verse by verse through the Bible, it's apparently repeated over and over and over again, this search. This emphasis on the Word. I've had people come up to me recently and say, are you going to uh, change anything about your philosophy of ministry now that you've go- gone into this new facility? And I said, no, we're going to be banging the same old drum. We're going to be talking about the Word. We're going to be talking about the, the Christ who is exalted in the Word. We're going to be talking about the God behind the Word. We're going to be talking about His glory. We're going to be talking about His holiness. We're going to be talking about His righteousness, His purity, His excellence. We're going to be talking about God a lot here at the Bible Church. hope you're not offended by that. I heard my friend Steve Camp once say in a concert as he began, I hope you're not offended, but I plan to sing about Jesus in every single song. We're going to talk about Christ in every single time, every Sunday school class, every children's ministry, every adult ministry. We're just talking about God. We're talking about the Word. Why? Because it's the all-encompassing search. It surpasses everything else. Searching for this wisdom does not automatically mean, however, that we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you read some of these Proverbs, you might think that. It doesn't automatically mean that, but it will mean this, however, that with God's abundant wisdom, you'll have a clear conscience. You'll have no guilt. You'll have a security in knowing that you're right with Him. And if you were to die tonight to know that you were in God's presence, not pleading about your own good works, not about your own righteousness, not about hoping that your good works outweigh your bad, you're going to be pleading the blood of Christ. You're going to be saying, I'm here for no other reason other than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's that's how you can have uh, no guilty conscience. That's how you can sleep at night, pillowing your head, knowing that you're right with God. You've made things right with Jesus Christ, that He's graciously offered and then given you salvation, which He is the only one who can offer. To know that you've received the One to whom Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 1.30, He is or has become to us wisdom from God. He is wisdom. You realize that everything that we say out of the book of Proverbs, even if I don't explicitly say it, is all a reference back to Christ? I guess in this sense, it's a reference forward to Christ. And then the New Testament is every reference back to passages like these that talk about the person of Christ. He's the embodiment of wisdom. So when I say it's the all-encompassing search, it's the all-surpassing search, it's a search for whom? Jesus, Christ, our Savior, our Lord. You must fight, beloved, against every other competing desire. You must be involved in this all-encompassing, all-surpassing search for God's wisdom. Nothing should detract you from it. Not even good things. Not even worthy things. Not even ministry ideas, ministry functions, ministry duties. Don't let anything stand in the way of your search for wisdom and for your gaining or drawing out of understanding. Why? Why should I pursue this? Why should I search? Why should I gain this kind of wisdom? Well, number two, 
because of the superior and priceless profit and preciousness of God's wisdom. Did you catch that? The superior and priceless profit and preciousness of God's wisdom. Look at Proverbs chapter 3 verse 14. For her prophet, that is wisdom's prophet, lady prophet, personified as God through a lady providing the kind of wisdom that we so desperately need, for her prophet is better than the prophet of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. It's a superior search. It's a superior prophet. It's a very precious and priceless prophet. Nothing, Solomon says, can compare with this. And as I've already taught you before, even through this series on Proverbs, this is one of the ways in which the Holy Spirit, who authored Scripture, compares a man's diligent, relentless pursuit of material riches. He compares the idea of someone pursuing the spiritual riches in the same way that someone would go out to try to acquire all of the money, all of the goods, all of the services, all of the material riches of this world. And I don't think I need to go beyond that illustration, do I? All of us can see it. You don't have to look very far at all to see that workable analogy. There are people who are, who are giving up their very lives for the purpose of getting rich, making it big, establishing themselves, doing whatever they can to try to gain the riches of the world. What God is teaching us here in Proverbs 3 is that it isn't money or it isn't possessions which are inherently evil, but it's the all-consuming focus of it. It's the all-surpassing value of it. And He's saying if, if men... Sinful men are all about the all-encompassing, all-surpassing, priceless, at least in their opinion, pursuit of the material riches of this life. How much more God's riches? How much more the stuff that lasts forever? How much more the stuff that you can work on now and receive the dividends in eternity? How much more the stuff that will be of value not just for this life, but also for the life to come. See, Solomon, he knows sinful man so well because he are one. He knows who people are because he knows his own heart, at least to some degree. And he knows that if he gives an analogy that says, look, just look around you, all the people that are pursuing all the stuff of the world... If they're pursuing that, and if they're pursuing that in that way, then how much more should you pursue the stuff that lasts forever because nothing can compare to that? Not gold, not silver, not precious jewels, none of it. George Lawson said, Earthly riches are for the body. Wisdom is for the soul. See the difference? You could pursue earthly riches. You could pursue it, as they say, till you're blue in the face. You, you could pursue it with white knuckles. You, you can pursue it all of your days. And in the end, the only thing that you've profited is your body. The clothes you wear, the house you live in, 
the cars you drive. But wisdom, beloved, wisdom, godly wisdom, that's for the soul. No amount of money can buy the soul. No amount of riches can do it for the soul. The only thing that can do it for the soul is God and His wisdom. What we do so often, even Christian people, even professing Christian believers, even those who say they're right with God, we so tirelessly pursue things that aren't God's agenda, aren't God's will. How much more should we, as the people who say we love God, the people who say we love wisdom, the people who say we love the Bible, how much more should we be the ones who are receiving the precious wisdom of God by an all-encompassing search, by an all-surpassing search? Why? Because it's that kind of riches that are priceless. They're precious. Isn't that what he says right there? The profit of pursuing lady wisdom, it's better than the profit of silver. You say, how much better? Oh, well, apparently the gain is better than fine gold. Well, how much more? Well, apparently more precious than even jewels. Well, how much? Tell me. Nothing you desire. Nothing you desire compares with her. Do you believe that? Now, now don't be so quick to say, oh, I believe that preacher. I believe it. Absolutely. I'd die for that truth. How do you live? Do you live that way? Do you live with a mindset that says pursuing God's wisdom is so precious to me, so so pricelessly precious, that I, when compared to my pursuit of the things of this life, can't even see it register at all? That's the way it ought to be. Look at your pursuit of the earthly stuff of this world, compare it with your pursuit of God's wisdom, and then look and see the percentages. Look on the scale. Look at the schematic. What do you see? God says, I I want you to know that the precious riches of eternity, of knowing God, of believing in Christ, of having a hope for the future, doesn't even compare. It's not even in the same ballpark. It doesn't even register as a blip on the screen. There's such a divergency between the preciousness and the profit of the gold of God, of the silver of Christ, of the jewels of the Holy Spirit. Nothing compares. I'm so pursuing Christ. I'm so pursuing God. I don't even think that much about money. Oh, just enough to have food and clothing. Isn't that what Paul said? Just enough to make it. Just enough to know that God is pleased with my heart. Just enough to know that I'm content, that that I don't have a motive, an all-consuming passion to pursue the things that I know ultimately won't last. This is the Proverbs, folks. This is what it's telling us. This is so practical. Proverbs 2, 4. If you seek her wisdom as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Boy, what a statement. Discovering the knowledge of God? You know how many people are on an aimless search thinking that they're pursuing the knowledge of God? Who is God, they say? Well, maybe it's in religion. 
Maybe it's in fame. Maybe it's in fortune. Maybe it's in recognition. Maybe it's in this or that. And I'm pursuing this God. I I believe there's a Creator God. I I believe that He's real. I, I believe that He created me, some might say. But how are you pursuing it? If you're not pursuing it as though you were seeking silver, as though you were searching for hidden treasure, then you would otherwise know that the only search that yields the discerning of the fear of the Lord and discovering the knowledge of God is the Word of God. Can you imagine that statement? I'm on a pursuit. And what I'm doing is I'm attempting to discover the very knowledge of God. God Himself. God the Creator. God the One who made me. God the One who made the world. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 10, Take my instruction, wisdom says, and not silver. Now it's contrasting, you see. Before we were comparing it, now it's contrastative. Take my instruction and not silver. In other words, if you have a choice, then there is no choice. Take wisdom's instruction. Lady wisdom is calling out. And knowledge rather than choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all desirable things cannot compare with her. Verse 18, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. You say, there it is. There's the key. I pursue God. I have the wealth. Enduring wealth, that's what it says. Well, that's a relative term. Somebody could make $20,000 a year and be absolutely fulfilled, content, and happy. And someone could make $220,000 a year and be miserable, right? It's all relative. It may include monetary wealth. It certainly will be enough for you to have your family taken care of. That's what God says. That's what David says, doesn't he? I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. But it's an enduring wealth because it comes from God. And it is mixed with what it says, enduring righteousness. You see, I have enough to care for my family, but what I'm really after is enduring righteousness. How about Proverbs chapter 20, verse 15? If you're not yet convinced, there is gold, Proverbs 20, verse 15. There is gold. In other words, Solomon is saying, look, I I recognize that. I, I acknowledge that. There is gold. Sure it is. People pursue it. People love it. People have an all encompassing, all surpassing search for it. There is that. There is an abundance of jewels. There is a wealth. But the lips of knowledge are what? A more precious thing. I mean, how many times can the wise old sage say these things? Well, I guess we need to be reminded again and again and again. Why? Because we are involved in the pursuits of life in the day-to-day. Monday comes around after Sunday, it seems, every time, doesn't it? And back to work. Back to the daily grind. And I so easily forget what I've been taught on Sunday. I so easily move away from the focus of my life, from that which I say I want. Christ, Christ, Christ. We hear the exalted music. Isn't that music wonderful this morning? Exalted music. Praise on our lips. The offering is an opportunity to give out of the abundance for which God has blessed me. All of it, it's exhilarating. It's glorious. And then reality hits at around 6 o'clock Monday morning, right? 
And I can so easily move away from the focus of my life, from the pursuit of my joy. That's why Solomon says it over and over again. That's why the whole of the Word of God says it over and over and over again. George Lawson again says this, He has no true judgment of the real value of things who would give a grain of true wisdom for a mountain of diamonds. And yet, what would you do? What would be your choice today? What if uh, we were distributing at the end of the service? We won't be doing this. But we were distributing at the end of this service a mountain of diamonds. What kind of lineup would we have? Oh, you'd say, well, I certainly wouldn't make it so public as that at the church. Certainly wouldn't want to do that. How about, a, how about an early Monday morning line? How about a late Thursday evening? How about 2 o'clock in the morning? I'll show up then so as to be unnoticed. Doesn't work that way, does it? Well, it may work for some, Sunday Christians. Monday through Saturday, what's going on? What's your heart? What's your focus? Is it the all-encompassing, all-surpassing search for wisdom? And when there's a, a profit to be made... Is it this, this priceless, precious prophet of God? Wisdom. God's precious wisdom is superior to all of that. Superior. Doesn't even compare to the world's goods. God's spiritual riches, His precious and priceless riches. Solomon is saying that lady wisdom is a far better investment than gold and silver could ever bring because with spiritual wisdom, it never fails to pay the highest yield of investment. Never. God has never been proven wrong in this regard. Never will. Because He can never lie. And what He says is true, and it will always be true. And what He says is, pursue the true riches. You never waste time in pursuing lady wisdom. She far outstrips everything, every pursuit. She has more rewards than all of the precious treasures of the world. Moses believed that, didn't he? Hebrews chapter 11 says this, verses 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen to this choosing rather to endure ill-treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, isn't that an interesting juxtapositioning? The passing pleasures of sin. God never says that sin won't be at times and to some pleasurable. It certainly is. None of us at one time or another, have had absolutely nothing but non-pleasure in sinning. Many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us, have had some pleasure at some time in sin. But it's a passing pleasure. It doesn't last. It doesn't provide the ultimate satisfaction. And that's why Moses being led by God, guided by God, realized, I'd rather endure ill treatment with the people of God than experiencing the passing pleasures of sin, which don't last. Paul believed that. 
Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5 or 6. This is what he says in verse 5, 1 Timothy 6, 5. The latter part of the verse says this. There are people who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, financial gain. That's the context. And he says, but godliness, it actually is a means of great gain. But it's not the financial gain of what I'm talking about. It's great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, and so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money. Notice it doesn't say, for money is a root of all sorts of evil. It doesn't say that. God would be contradictory if that were so, because we use money for good things, godly things, to achieve righteous ends. It's the love of money. It's the all-encompassing, all-surpassing pursuit. The love of money. It's a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Flee these things, he says, to this man of God. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. That's like Proverbs 3. Pursue godly wisdom. That's what makes up godly wisdom. Righteousness, holiness. And you know, many people assume that Christianity, because we talk like this, we teach these things. You know, you hear this Christian preachers say, you know, pursue God, pursue His wisdom, pursue the things that will last forever, don't pursue the world's goods, don't be worldly, don't pursue those things. And what do sometimes non-Christians think about that? Boring! Boring! What do you, what do you do then? I mean, when you get together, what do you do? You don't party. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go out with girls that do. What do you do? How do you live? I mean, what's fun? Right? It's not boring at all, my friends, not boring at all. Why? Because you're right with God. Oh, it's so good to be right with God. So good to know God. To know that you have eternal life. To know that the Bible says, for you who believe in the name of the Son of God, you know you have life. Know with certainty. That's when you're really living. All that other stuff, that's not really living. That's a charade. That's a game. It doesn't last. And as soon as you turn around, your friend is stabbing you in the back. As soon as you turn around in the corporate world, someone's stepping on you because you're going up the ladder. The wisdom that the Bible speaks of, oh, it's, it's not dull at all. It's not boring at all. Wouldn't it be sad for someone to take their entire life pursuing the world's goods, partying, whatever it is, pursuing money, pleasure, don't pursue the spiritual riches, and they stand the very portals of heaven and are turned away, barred, because they pursued their own stuff. 
their own pleasure. What is it that you're pursuing, beloved? Is it riches? Fame? Notoriety? Material satisfaction? Health? Rest? Leisure? The path of least resistance? What is it? You remember what Jesus said in Luke 12? You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Luke 12. This is probably the perfect application of Proverbs 3. Beware and be on guard, be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Turn it around. Jesus is saying this. Instead of pursuing the wealth or the abundance of God's wisdom, there are people who pursue the abundance of the world's riches. And he says, even then, even when you have the abundance, even when you have it all, your life does not consist of your possessions. That's not what your life is. That's not what makes up your life. That's not who you are. He goes on to say, he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? You can almost see him put his thumbs under his suspenders. Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul... You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Self-satisfaction, self-sufficiency. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool! This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? You know what happened to that man that night, that very night? God took him before him, standing in judgment. And what was happening to all his stuff? I guess somebody else is going to take his stuff. They may, they may put it in storage and pay out a monthly fee. Uh, they may buy a bigger boat. They may cash in the chips. But for everyone, the same answer is given. You're going to stand alone before God. And this is the way Jesus ended that parable. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See the comparison? Rich in the things of this world, rich toward God. What's it going to be? Clear choice. Precise. Now, there, there may be somebody who says, all right, all right, I agree with that. I believe that. But, but ultimately, even though I know that's heaven for me up there, that's riches untold, it's all of that, but what about now? What about now? Is there any kind of reward now? Yes, that's the third point. The inescapable and inevitable reward of wisdom. The inescapable and inevitable reward of wisdom. What is it? Verse 16. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand, that is, Lady Wisdom, are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. 
You see, in ancient times, say, for instance, in the great country of Egypt, there were gods and goddesses. And they would depict these gods and goddesses, statues, and they would put in these goddesses' hands things that would symbolize riches, honor. And you might have in this picture of Lady Wisdom, in the right hand, a symbol for long life, and in the left hand, a symbol or a scepter for riches and honor. And so Solomon sort of borrows that, as it were, out of the paganism of the time, and he says, look at Lady Wisdom, and what Lady, Lady Wisdom has is long life in one hand and riches and honor in another. You know what I see here? Well, what are the inescapable and inevitable rewards of wisdom? Well, what is it for this life? We know what's going to happen in the life to come. What about this life? You know what it says? I see three of those here. The first is physically. The rewards are physically given to us. What is it? Long life. Again, does it mean chronology? Does it mean 80 years, 90 years, 120 years? doesn't say. Guess what? This is a proverb. It's proverbial. It's a general statement. It's simply talking about the quality of a life that is dependent upon God. Long life is long in the sense of eternal life in John 17. It's a quality of life. It begins, it begins now and it lasts forever. Now what quality is it going to be? It's a long life. It doesn't automatically mean that I'm guaranteed a physically long life if I gain God's wisdom. Not at all. But what it means is a long life in terms of the blessing of God, however long that is. You read the stories of a few of the Puritans or missionaries who gave their whole life to Jesus Christ and some of them didn't last past their 28th birthday. But guess what? God packed in that 28 years something awesome. Awesome. Read the biography of Robert Murray McShane, the great Scottish preacher, 28 years old. God just packed all kinds of riches into that life. Kenneth Aiken writes this, A man or woman is better off for doing what is wise and right and poorer for doing what is wrong without insisting that the proof lies in the bank account. You see, it's, it's not the issue of how long I'm going to live. It's the issue of how am I living as long as it is? How am I living? And the Bible tells us right here, long life is in Lady Wisdom's right hand. Long life, however long it is, it's going to be a great life. A great life. And by the way, wouldn't Solomon know a little bit about this? You can't read Ecclesiastes without knowing this. He lived a life... And when he finally realized that he was supposed to be living it in a certain way, he looked back on all the stuff that he was doing when he wasn't applying this kind of wisdom, and he said, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 says it this way, verse 3, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. This is exactly what we're talking about. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself for which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. And by the way, do you see the pattern here? For myself, for myself, for myself. Also, 
I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. Isn't that interesting? I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Sounds a lot like Las Vegas. I was there last night. I was doing an ordination council for a man in ministry in Sacramento, and the only way I could get back here this morning was to go from Sacramento through Las Vegas to Dallas to Little Rock. It says here, this is a singer and a pleasure seeker and concubines. And I was reading this right on the plane, and as soon as I got off the plane, I went into the Las Vegas airport, never been there in my life. That's an amazing sight, isn't it? You, you can't even get off the plane, out of the gate, into the baggage claim area, and there are slot machines all over. It's nothing but pleasure-seeking. He says, Then I became great. And increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. An incredible statement. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus, I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity." and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Maybe I didn't want me to be here this morning, because this is so convicting. This is, this is Little Rock, Arkansas. This is Los Angeles, California. This is Las Vegas, Nevada. This is New York City. This is the pleasure-seeking, pleasure-groping, pleasure-mongering, singing, making merry, eating, drinking, slot machines. That's the stuff of the pursuit of people we know. Maybe it's us. You know what he says at the end of Ecclesiastes? He writes himself and he says this, and this is for all of us, this is... This is the, the culmination. This is the conclusion. This is what Solomon says. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Now, I was on this plane and I kept reading these things over and over and over again and I I tell you, it was an exhilarating spiritual inventory. Lance, what are you pursuing? What, what is your life course? What's the all-encompassing search? What's the all-surpassing value? What are your motives? And you know, I was a bit encouraged. I'm not acquitted, certainly, but I was encouraged because as soon as Sin City hit me in the eyeballs, I looked at that stuff and it was nauseating to me. I saw people, human beings, made in the image of God, sitting at those stools, putting coin after coin after coin. I just sat there in the chair about five feet for an hour and a half across from somebody 
who was continually putting coins in these slots, hoping by chance and fate that coins would come back to them in abundance. You think the Lord had me go through Las Vegas so I could give that as an illustration today? I think so. But what was more encouraging was that even though physically or materially, that's riches, long life, riches, or maybe even socially, honor, long life, riches, honor, physically, materially, socially, I thought to myself, I I just want to be with the people of God. Lord, please bring me safely back to the ministry of the Bible church. Please allow me the privilege of singing and worshiping with the saints. Please give me the opportunity to disciple and nurture and pray for and be ministered to those people I love and who love me. You see, that's, that's the long life, whatever length it is. That's, that's the material stuff. I just have food and covering. That's, that's all. I'm content with that. That's, that's the socialization that I want to be with the people of God. That's, that's God. That's what He's bringing. That's the wisdom that He gives. But you know what? It's not just physically. It's not just materially. It's not just socially. It's also directionally. Do you see that there in verse 17? Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. Do you see there, there are direction words there? Ways. Paths. That's, that's where you go. That's where you step. That's where you move. That's where you put one foot in front of the other. That's, that's your life. That's your life course. That's your direction. The Bible, when it speaks of ways and paths, it's talking about the course of your life. It's talking about where you're going. It's talking about your direction. What is your direction this morning? Where are you going? Well, if you grab a hold of the wisdom that God speaks of here, you're going to have pleasant ways and peaceful paths. Oh, I love that. That's, that's probably something that I could memorize. Peaceful paths and pleasant ways. Oh, and if that weren't enough, it says, she is a tree of life. To those who what? Take hold. Grab that tree. Grab that life. God will direct the paths of those who acknowledge Him in all their ways. He'll direct those paths. They'll be peaceful paths. They'll be precious ways. You see, life is intended to be lived in all of its fullness, and Lady Wisdom is pointing the way. Do you have turmoil in your life? Chaos? Uncertainty? How about in its place? Pleasant and peaceful ways and paths. Now, I can hear somebody say, no, not interested. No, thank you. No, nobody says that. Nobody says, no, I don't think I want all of that. I don't think I want pleasantness. I don't think I want peace. I want turmoil. Yeah. Chaos. Yeah, give it to me. Of course not. People are saying, I want peace. I want pleasantness. I want a way that is clear and defined and certain. The only way you're going to have it, folks, the only way is pursuing the wisdom of God. Proverbs 8.32, Now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. By the way, this word peace, all her paths are peace, shalom. Shalom. Contentedness, wholeness, health. You know, when I was over in Israel, everybody who you pass, whether you go up to them and speak, or whether you're going away from them as you speak, they say, Shalom. 
Shalom Lakim. What does it mean? Well, for most of those, it's probably just a greeting. Probably just something that's rote. But you know what it really means? It means, I wish to extend upon you God's blessing, God's peace, God's wholeness, God's fulfillment of you and your life, God's health to you. Let me ask you, are your ways adorned with peace? Are you experiencing wholeness, health, contentedness? Did you realize that according to Judges 6.24, God is said to be this, the Lord is peace. That's who He is. That's the embodiment of what peace is. You want to know what peace is? It's the Lord. Follow the Lord. That's the direction. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her. By the way, that tree of life mentioned in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 22, verse 2, that's talking about salvation. The tree of life is salvation. That's what wisdom is. I'm pursuing salvation. I'm pursuing the fullness of salvation, the end of salvation, the goal of salvation. And what is it? It's the tree of life. And in Revelation 22, it says, and God will be bearing each month all kinds of fruit. All kinds of fruit. Isn't it luscious to think of heaven where all there is is luscious, beautiful, fruit-bearing No crying, no tears, no sin, all righteous fruit. Wow. And boy, if it wasn't enough, if it it were just physical or material or social or directional, one last one, attitudinal. Boy, you know this is where the Lord would hit us. Right in our attitude. Verse 18b, And happy are all who hold her fast. Happy are all who hold her fast. How about putting it in New Covenant language? James 3. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's New Covenant language. Peace. Happy are all of those who seek God's peace. That's our attitudes. It's a peaceful heart, mindset, attitude. Happy is the one who holds her fast. Hold her fast. Grab a hold of it. Don't let it go. God, if you're promising me happiness, if you're promising me peace, wholeness, contentedness, I'm going to grab a hold of your leg and not let go. And you know what God says, our precious Father? I won't let you go. I don't want you to go. I want you to have the fullness of peace. You're a part of the tree of life. Eat the fruit. You know, that's what Adam and Eve could have done. They could have been confirmed in righteousness, grabbing the peace. Instead, they used their own wisdom. And it barred them from the tree of life. You remember it said that the cherubim had a sword, a flaming sword, keeping them from the tree of life. Why? Because God didn't want His tree of life to be polluted by sinners. But He says there is a way. There's another way. And that way is this, to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ who is life. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the tree of life. I'm the the vine. You are the branches. I'm the root of Jesse. I'm that tree of life. It's not just a literal tree of life in the Garden of Eden. It's Jesus Christ who's the tree of life. Well, what a great attitude to have. Oh, I want that. Do you want that? Is that your heart today? Bow with me in prayer. 
Oh, God. We want this. This is so convicting, so challenging to pursue this kind of wisdom, to fight against the the world. John Phillips says this, Wisdom offers a quality of life that all of us would like to have. Sin is the great spoiler. Sin bankrupts us. It turns loveliness into ugliness and harmony into discord. Before the serpent appeared in Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed a rich, full, happy life. The world lay at their feet. The living God was their constant companion. Stretching before them was a future filled with joy, unspeakable and full of glory. All Eve needed to do when Satan made his insidious suggestion was to call upon wisdom. Eve simply had to say, Thus saith the Lord. That response would have left the devil facing the drawn and naked sword of the Spirit, the one weapon he feared. Foolishly, Eve threw away her sole means of protection and relied on her own understanding. Wisdom calls us back to the Word of God and offers as much as is possible in a world saturated with evil and under a curse, the tenor of life that once reigned in Eden. Wisdom offers length of days, riches and honor, pleasantness and peace. Oh, Lord, I pray for every person here. Oh, I pray that no one would go from this place who is vacillating, wavering, half-committed. Oh, I pray that the people who are gambling their life away Pursuing the pleasure, the pride, the arrogance, the boasting, the money, the crowds, the fame. Oh, I pray that You would strip all of us from such searches and bring us home. Give us the reward, the tree of life. pray that people would renounce by the Spirit of God their own pursuits and pursue Christ, the tree of life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that He exists, then He will reward you if you seek Him. Seek Him now. Turn from your sin. Throw yourself upon this Christ who will shade you, this tree of life. He'll give you rest. He'll give you fruit. Come to Him. Come to Him now. Thank you, Christ. Thank You for Your work on the cross, Your death, Your burial, Your resurrection. Raise us up to new life like You were raised, like You raised Yourself. Bring us to our eternal home. 
Thank you. Amen.